Well, we've been seeing more Fed speakers giving hints that the Fed has gone as far as it needs to go, and the expectation is that cuts will happen next year, unless you listen to Jerome Powell. So when does he change his tune? His fireside chat on Friday did nothing to stop the move down in bond yields. Quite a sharp move down on Friday, in fact. Meanwhile, the RBA and the Bank of Canada this week. So does the US dollar continue to weaken? Do yields move lower? It's Monday, the 4th of December, 2023. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, after a bit of a lift on Thursday, the US dollar was heading south again on Friday, down 0.4%, which is uh, how much it fell over the entire week, actually. A good day for the Aussie dollar, though. It rose 1.1% on Friday, up to 66 and three quarters US cents, 1.4% up over the week. And Friday saw a 13 basis point fall in US 10-year treasuries. Not really quite sure why. It's down to 4.2%, down 27 basis points in a week. Aussie 10 years finished just above 4.5%, only one basis point down on the week. And it was a strong day for equities as well, a 0.6% rise in the S&P and the NASDAQ, 0.8% for the Dow, the same for the Eurostock 50. The FTSE 100 closed up 1% on Friday, 1.1% for the DAX. Uh, but stocks falling in China and Hong Kong, 1.25% fall for the Hang Seng. And oil, well, the the oil markets really are obviously questioning OPEC Plus's resolve because oil was down again, 2.5% for WTI and Brent. Brent down below 79 a barrel now. Uh, NAB's Taylor Nugent is with me this morning trying to figure out what is going on here. So, I mean, there was a lot of data around on Friday, but enough to drive the changes we saw. What is surprising is that big fall in treasury yields on Friday, wasn't it? Good morning, Phil. I, I think that's right. Yeah, there was a, a bit of data. We did have the uh, the manufacturing ISM that came in a little a little softer than expected, and certainly, you know, directionally supportive of you know some continued weakness coming through in the the manufacturing side of the US economy, and certainly um, some of the detail there suggestive of some more potential disinflationary pressures through goods. Um, but as you say, probably nothing to suggest that you would get this much of a, a reaction. And I think really, you know, if we view this in the context of, of of the week, really the theme of the week was that pull forward in in expectations for the timing of cuts and growing confidence that that the Fed was done. Um, we had some comments from from Powell, which I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on in a second, but doing little to to push back against against that that you know that you know the, the direction of travel there over the week. Yeah. So in those ISM numbers, yeah, I mean, it was largely, I mean, we saw a fall in the employment index. That was good. Uh, But we saw the manufacturing price index rise. We saw an uptick in new orders as well, both of which you could say, well, you know, they, that could have an impact on inflation. That could slow down this this fall in inflation. Yeah. So I think the the uptick in in prices that can be that can be fairly volatile. I think there what you can see, although there was a, an uptick in new orders as well, it's still uh, still below below fifty, and so suggestive that there is that that kind of demand softness on on the ma- manufacturing side coming through. Um, and so I think that, you know, in elsewhere in the details, those kind of supplier delivery times and other things are also suggestive of, you know, uh, capacity constraints there not biting anywhere near as, as hard as they used to be. And so I don't think even despite the, that uptick in some of the volatile subcomponents that you point to, I think the, the broader message from the survey, especially with that, that headline number a little bit softer than expected, was that, um, you know, that manufacturing side not generating new inflationary pressures. So we had 
couple of Fed speakers. So, yes, Jerome Powell giving his fireside chat. We also had Goolsby again saying everything is on track to reach 2%. There's no evidence it's stalled at 3%, he said. A decline in housing inflation will help bring it down further. So there's somebody who's basically saying, you know, giving the indication that they're not going to do any more. And so the next move is going to be down. But Jerome Powell uh, said it's too soon to be talking rate cuts. It would be premature to conclude with confidence we've achieved a, a sufficiently restrictive stance, he said, or to speculate in, on when policy might ease. No matter that, uh, the market's still expecting a hike in March. So everyone stop listening to him. Uh, well, I think I think the the detail there, you know, in in his remarks on Goolsby first, really no surprises from Goolsby. He'd said similar things earlier in the week as well, and so he's one of those FOMC members that's kind of increasingly confident that inflation is heading back to to where they need it to go. I think you know while Powell did uh, push back a little bit against you know calling victory on on inflation, there really shouldn't have been any expectations that he would be you know calling victory at at this point. I'm still wanting to retain that that optionality i think when we look forward to the the december meeting although you know consistent with what we've heard recently with the way that the data has has come in even more importantly you know they're not going to be moving um in in december but i think that tightening bias probably will will remain and that just reflects the kind of the comments that um fed chair power was making there um you know they're still still concerned about um calling victory prematurely as you say but i think you know one of the things that caught mark um the market's attention and a bit of an offset to those statements that you pointed to there was he also upgraded his um characterization of how restrictive policy was he called monetary policy well into restrictive territory meaning that um, monetary policy is tight um and so that's a little bit firmer than the and other other times when he's described monetary policy as, as restrictive. So that well into restrictive territory, probably consistent with, with staying on hold. Um, and it's just a matter of, you know, watching the data coming in, keeping that optionality open in, in case they get surprised. Um, but, you know, the discussion around needing to retain um, the option to, to hike further really did seem to be couched in if we get some surprise in the data that, that means we need to come off the sidelines rather than kind of an, an active consideration given the, the current data backdrop. So this... <laughs> So big fall in yields, down to two words: well into. Uh, do you think that might be part of uh, it? I, a lot of a lot of the move in yields was already already in place before before power speaking. So I think you know the the, the pushback there didn't do much to kind of change markets' mind and, and get yields moving back higher. But um, yeah, it's certainly not the case that you know a big a big fall in yields off the back of those remarks. So what about the situation in China? So I mean, we, we you know we know that there's weakness in China, but we had the Beijing Manufacturing PMI on Friday. It came in at fifty point seven in November. So actually in expansionary territory up from 49.6 in October, the official number of course fell last week to 49.4. So uh, there's a difference of course between the size of the companies in these two surveys, isn't it? But interestingly, the smaller companies in the Caging survey said uh, they were quoted as saying that they're worried about the global economic outlook, whereas I think the global e- economy is worried about the China outlook. It's a bit of a chicken and egg situation going on here. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. So, yeah, the, the Tyson PMI, um, a little bit above 50 and a little bit of a contrast to that that official measure that we got on Thursday. Um, the Tyson PMI send, tends to be a little bit more export focused as well. But I think, you know, although it did tick above 50 at 50.7, it's hardly, you know, a, a, a signal of particular 
particular strength and some of the subcomponents, including the imported, um, the employment sub index in that, in that PMI as well were also soft. So not, you know, not a particularly strong signal for the, the strength of the, the Chinese economy at the moment. We get trade data on Thursday, which will also be kind of another useful indicator in how, um, how that demand piece is going. Um, but I think, as you say, what we've seen is that, you know, any hopes that China could be a, an engine of demand growth and to, and could, you know, be a little bit out of cycle as, as restrictive monetary policy starts to slow things down in, in advanced economies that, you know, growth and recovery from China could be a bit of offset in the global demand picture. Um, you know, those hopes aren't, aren't really coming through. And as you say, kind of China, although there's some signs, signs of, of stability, certainly not a, an engine of growth as, as other, other economies slow down. And yeah, and that has to be evidenced in the weaker oil prices, you know, despite deeper cuts supposedly being promised by OPEC plus uh, next year. Uh, the fact that oil continues to fall, I mean, it shows it shows two things, doesn't it? One is that people don't believe OPEC plus are going to be able to make the cuts that they're promising or they're going to be deep enough. But I mean, obviously, it's also an indication, you know, if, if we didn't have OPEC plus happening at the same time right now, we'd, you know, we'd still be seeing it going low, possibly even lower than it is now, which is a sign that, you know, of just how much demand is expected to fall next year, surely. Yeah. So the prospect for, you know, demand demand growth in, in oil as well with the where, we're, where we are in the economic side. Cycle, probably doing nothing to support prices, as you say. But I think you know the key, the key theme in in the last week or, or recently has really been that that supply picture and that uh, that scepticism that um, the voluntary cuts uh, announced by by OPEC will will be delivered, and then you know also whether they are kind of sufficient to kind of defend that that eighty dollar level, especially when you're in an environment in which U.S. production is is increasing. So I think that scepticism combined with that picture of kind of you know hardly a, a demand outlook for oil. That's suggestive of, of strong growth, um, all meaning that you know the oil price is is lower uh, despite what we saw on Thursday out of OPEC. Right. Well, two central banks this week uh, to care about. One obviously is the RBA tomorrow. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second, but also the Bank of Canada. Uh, Canada's unemployment rate ticked up ever so slightly on Friday, even though they had 25,000 extra people in work in November. But a big shift actually from part-time work, which was down 35,000, full-time work up 60,000. So clearly people want to work full-time and the jobs are there, which, you know, you could say, well, okay, if there's more people working full-time and the jobs are there for them to do it, uh, then they've got more money in their pocket. That could uh, that could mean, you know, we see a, a fall in the uh, slowdown in inflation, potentially. Uh, potentially, yeah. I don't think there'll be anything in that data to to change what the, the Bank of Canada does this this week, widely expected to be on, on hold. That's, Which is nothing. Yeah, that's, yeah fully yeah. priced yeah. For, for on hold. Most analysts expect it. But uh, yeah, as you say, nothing there to suggest anything other than kind of further gradual cooling in, in the labour market. Employment a little bit stronger than expected. Unemployment ticking higher as expected. At 5.8, it is about uh, is well above its its kind of cycle lows of 4.9% in in April, um, and so there has been a, a um, April last year, sorry. So there has been a pretty material deterioration in the labour market there. But again, the unemployment rate still low by historical standards. Wages growth still running at levels that would make the Bank of Canada a little bit uncomfortable about their consistency with inflation returning to target. So 
you know, no, no reason for them to kind of respond to that data particularly, but not, not really the all clear on, on domestic inflationary pressures either. Right. And then the RBA tomorrow, of course, which I think everyone is expecting that they, that things will be on hold this time. Uh, Q3 GDP is up this week as well. It's going to be interesting, isn't it? Because GDP per capita, it'll be interesting to see how that's traveling and productivity because we've got this false picture, haven't we? If you just look at the top line number, because it's, it's been inflated by higher immigration. So, I mean, that's the question. What's GDP per capita really doing and what's productivity sitting like? And, uh, you know, how, how does that influence the RBA next year? Because we've got the AFR saying today uh, the ASX is going to rally uh, on the assumption that the RBA has reached their peak. But of course, you know, NAB's view is, no, that is not the case. Yeah. So we, we don't expect the RBA to be hiking this month. We think that, you know, they'll they'll be on hold. We think that final paragraph will will probably look fairly similar and keep that keep that tightening bias, even though that's not um not as as emphatic as it may have been um at uh at earlier meetings. Uh but you know, I think, you know, to be when we look at where the forecasts were out of November, when we look at where the data flow has been since since uh, that meeting, um, that combine that with the RBA's kind of patience and their kind of reluctance to to deliver further tightening unless they kind of see that that clear case in the data that they need to. We don't think enough has changed for them to to move already given that guidance, but we do think that the the pressures in the backdrop and and the way that the RBA has described the outlook themselves out of the November SOMP do justify some further tightening. And so we continue to expect a hike in in February. Um, As you say, there's a fair bit of data between the December meeting and when the RBA comes back next year in, in February. And so GDP the day after the RBA on, on Wednesday is is one of those. And then we get some important inflation data as well ahead of that February meeting. On GDP, uh, we're expecting a, a, a increase in the quarter of 0.5% quarter on quarter. So that would be a little bit below trend, but reasonably healthy consumption growth, uh, a little bit slower than that, but still still positive growth, as you say, supported by that um, that population picture. But the RBA, you know, really focused in in the aggregates and the consistency with that, that level of demand with the economy's ability to, um, to meet that um, to meet that demand where it is. And, you know, Bullock was, was pretty clear in her recent commentary that certainly the RBA's assessment is that we do need to see some further cooling in order to bring that more into balance. Um, and so, you know, even though it could show another kind of per capita decline in, in GDP, I think given the strength of where we were out of the rebound and, and given the capacity constraints in the economy, I don't think the RBA will be viewing that as necessarily too negative a picture. Right. Okay. Well, we also get the Melbourne Institute inflation gauge today. We get New Zealand's terms of trade for Q3, uh, the value of home loans for October for Australia. Otherwise, a, a pretty quiet start. We've got COP28, of course, going on this week in Dubai. If you want to know where a chunk of the world's private jets are, ironically, that's where they are. Uh, and of course, it's Jobs Week as well. Non-farm payroll on Friday, uh, plus US services, ISM, Chinese trade data this week as well. So there's a bit going on, but we'll leave it there for now. Good to talk, Taylor. Catch you next time. Thanks, Bill. And that's it for today. That's the morning call. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. I am back here again tomorrow morning, bright and early. I'll see you then. Thanks for listening.